According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Turn your Bibles as we get started to uh, Matthew 18, Matthew chapter 18. So that part's working at least. All right. Something works anyway. The... um, passage is episode 53, Disciples Contend About Greatness. And this episode includes Matthew 18, Mark 9, and Luke 9, although for today we will be limited to the material here in Matthew. At that time the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set set him before them. And said, truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. All right. Is what we'll talk about this morning and uh, drowning in the depths of the sea and other real pleasant concepts, things like that. Let's take time for silent prayer and make sure each one of us is equipped to handle the word of truth, shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together and we thank you for your faithfulness. We ask for your hand of blessing upon our study and we thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Bradley, can you close those doors, please? All right. We can make use of the Elmo, and I can draw pictures for you if uh, this thing here just doesn't seem like it wants to do anything, which is crazy. I'll try one more idea, and then after that, we'll just have to give up on the whole process. It's the strangest thing. All right. In the outline, we handled, we gave you last week, point number one, the single episode is actually a series of events which all center on the need for humility. In fact, we've got a string A through G of events that all take place in the single episode. A through G. Uh, Letter A, the disciples arguing about greatness. And we uh, spent our week last week dealing with that. The event today is the um, illustration. Christ illustrates with a child, which is subpoint B. Christ illustrates with a child. It's actually covered in all three Gospels. Matthew 18, verses 2 through 6. Mark 9, verses 36 and 37. Luke 9, verses 47 and 48. The third event that we get to, or the third, yes, the third event in this episode, Christ warns about the stumbling blocks. That's verses 7 through 10 of our Matthew 18 passage, as well as Mark 9, verses 42 through 48. The warning about stumbling blocks is not given in uh, the Gospel of Luke. And then for events D, E, F, and G, everything comes out of Matthew. Uh, Nothing in Mark or Luke with respect to the 90 and 9 the corporate discipline, the 70 times 7 when Peter wants to know how many times do I have to forgive my brother, and then the settling of accounts, 
in the settling of accounts between the uh, the servant and uh, the fellow servant, the slave owner, the master that forgave the unbelievable debt, and uh, then the slave who was unwilling to forgive his ma- uh, forgive his fellow slave, even though he had been forgiven a tremendous amount himself. All right, I had one last idea on this projector, and I thought. I could go there. I guess not. Well, maybe we'll have it by this evening. This is the craziest thing since we have not... uh, I haven't had a problem with the uh, laptop now in the longest time. Oh, well. All right. Sovereignty still works. God's in charge. Dealing with point B then, Christ illustrates with a child. And let's look at it again here from Matthew 18. He called a child. He calls a paideon, P-A-I-D-I-O-N. Standard word for child along with technon and a couple of other terms that we have with some frequency in the New Testament. Nothing with respect to this child's age. A pideon could be uh, uh, any age, from toddler on up. He's not the youngest of children. He's not a brephos. He's not an infant. He is uh, old enough to come forward and also old enough to be used as an example. I think a lot of times the example here is misplaced uh, in that uh, people will blend verses 3 and 4. And count verse 3 and verse 4 as if they're the same thing. As if all you have to do is become like a child, like any child. As if every child on the planet is a poster child for humility. Alright? No. Not every child is a poster child, as it were. Okay? We're going to get that phrase anyway. Um, there are there are plenty of children on this planet who uh, are not illustrations of humility. The one he brought forward, though, was, and there was a reason for that. The, the particular individual child, whoever it was, not named, but whoever the child was, was an example to be imitated. And so we will spell that out for you in our subpoints. All right. So he called a child to himself. And uh, set him before them. Again, the child is left anonymous. We don't know who it was. doesn't matter. But it was a child that came upon being called. It was a child that was obedient to the call of his teacher, Jesus Christ. And he said, truly, I say to you, this is one of his amen statements. I mean, Lego soy, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is an absolute statement that has an un- starts with an unless and demonstrates the requirement for entrance. One of the differences we have between verse 3 and verse 4 is verse 3 is a requirement for entrance. Verse 4 speaks of degrees of greatness. That is, there will be the greatest and the least and steps in between uh, as far as the kingdom of heaven is concerned. Verse 4, whoever then humbles himself as this child, in other words, as this child has humbled himself, following the example this child set. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest 
in the kingdom of heaven. So in verse 4, we're not talking about entrance requirements. We're talking about rewardability. And here's where believers fall so short because we um, get confused between entrance and rewardability. Even when we shouldn't be confused, we still allow ourselves to get confused. We allow ourselves to get complacent having accomplished the requirements for entrance. Believers get lazy. They think, well, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. I have eternal life. Things are great. And we are blowing it on the daily basis in the Christian way of life when we consider that the uh, expectations for greatness, the, the application of the Word of God for rewardability continues to be a daily struggle that each one of us must make application for. All right, I'm going to give you four points of study, and I don't know how well this is going to go. I really wanted to show some uh, word studies. I wanted to demonstrate what we do with different word studies. And then none of that's going to happen, so that's all right. Um, we'll just give you the points. <clears throat> four points of application. Each point is an application point. So we're dealing with main point two, Matthew's events, sub point B. That's a little B. Christ illustrates with a child. And the scripture references being Matthew 18, 2 through 6, Mark 9, 36 and 37. Luke 9, 47 to 48. Now, under that, subpoint one, which is application number one. Application number one. Become childlike. Become childlike. Not childish, childlike. Become childlike. C-H-I-L-D-L-I-K-E, one compound word. Sometimes it's hyphenated, doesn't have to be. Become childlike, not childish. Childish is a negative character trait that exemplifies selfishness and everything else that's uh, wrong about carnal, unregenerate, childish behavior. Childlike is everything that's favorable about regenerate, redeemed, humble, childlike behavior. And that's the distinction. So application number one, become childlike. Now, to become childlike, this verse, this comes from verse 3, Matthew 18, 3. In order to do this, there are two requirements, two verbs are employed. The first verb is an aorist passive and the verb is uh, spero. Let me spell this out for you. I'm sorry, strepho. We have an aorist passive of strepho. So if I'm going to become childlike, before I can become, I must first be turned or converted. All right? And the term that's used here is the, is the verb strepho, S-T-R-E-P-H-O, strepho, number 4762. So your sigma, tau, rho, epsilon, phi, omega, strepho. Strepho means to turn. It's a basic verb. Uh, most often where it's used, uh, it's used literally. It's used of... A person who's being, someone's calling out to him. Jesus is the subject of most of them. Uh, Jesus will turn and speak. You know, turning to the crowds, he said. Or turning to the disciples, he answered. Okay? It is a, uh, it's a term that speaks of a physical, literal turning. But when it's used metaphorically, though, it can reference 
uh, different aspects. It can, it can reference a metaphoric turning or a changing. We have an idiom in modern English, turning over a new leaf, as it were. It's similar to the concept of repentance in that there is a change that takes place in repentance, but metanoeo speaks of a change of thinking. That when you repent, you have a change of thinking. Strepho does not address the thinking. It, it stresses the actual turning. Now, I, I think in large respects, though, the expressions are rather interchangeable because you're not going to accomplish the activity of turning without a change of thinking that motivated that. But this is not metanoeo, repent. This is strepho, turn. And in places where it references conversion, the, the New American Standard even used the term conversion uh, in verse 3, unless you are converted and become like children. And I'll do this manually since, uh, and I'll just have to read it to you since uh, I'm not able to put it on the screen for you this morning. But uh, becoming converted, some of the things that the different uh, Bible translations do with this, let me pull up just a parallel Bible, all versions, Matthew 18.3. Saves a lot of flipping if you can open up a verse in every Bible you own. I can even limit it to English Bibles. That saves time. The idea of converted goes back to the uh, the King James translation, and so New American Standard retained it. Uh, Darby likewise used it. Verily I say to you, unless ye are converted and become as little children, you will not at all enter into the kingdom of the heavens. The uh, American Standard Version except ye turn and become as little children. King James, be converted and become as little children. Uh, the modern English ones, who cares about those? Right? The, the CEV says, unless you change. Okay? Interestingly enough, made it a, an active verb. This is something you have to do. You have to change. Right? You've got to change. You better change your ways. Right? No. It's a passive verb. You are being changed. You are being turned. You are being um, converted. And of course, that's not up to us. God accomplishes that activity. Which comes about, and we'll see in our second verb, genomai, to become. For you and I to become something in the middle voice. Uh, again, there's the active and passive components of allowing the Father to be at work in and through us. Other translations, uh, the Holman, that's the other one I wanted to check, uses converted, unless you are converted and become like children. Many of you read the New King James, the NKJV, which reads, unless you turn. Now that one there leaves it rather active looking, doesn't it? The New King James, nope, New King James uses converted. Unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. All right. So we have the phrase unless, which stipulates the requirement. And unless the qualifications are met, the results don't happen. It, it specifically excludes the results from happening unless these events take place. All right. Step number one, be converted, be turned. Passive voice, aorist passive. Secondly, become. Become. Ginomai. So you have strepho, 
Then you have Ginamai, G-I-N-O-M-A-I, Ginamai. And Ginamai is number 1096. <laughs> All right, 1096. That's crazy. All right. So, I'm the only one that can appreciate the humor of 10 codes with a law enforcement background. The rest of you have no comprehension of 1096. Sorry. In fact, you know, 10-4. Yeah, you got 10-4. Okay. Anyway, I will enjoy my own private humor with 1096. But the idea of becoming, Ginamai speaks of becoming. There's a difference between Ginamai and Amy. Amy is the state of being, is the I am, the language of God. God is the only one who is eternally I am. You and I are, however, before we were, we had to become. Say, I am a pastor, but I can't say I am eternally a pastor because I became a pastor at a point in time in the past. I am a father, but I became a father. See, in 1992, I am, everything you state as far as I am, you, you are also able to rephrase as I became, referencing a past event. All right? God is the only one who has the eternal ego amy, I am eligibility. Now, to become something that you were not previously, to uh, become a child... Now, it's interesting is because in purely earthly terms, everybody, every adult you speak to used to be a child, right? And so we're not asking any adult or anybody you're speaking to to revert, to go back to their childhood. No, Genemai, asking them to become something they never have been before, demonstrates that the childhood or the childlike condition that they are uh, seeking to attain to in terms of their salvation is something new. It's a new experience. They're going to become a spiritual baby. They've been an earthly baby before. We don't ever want them to go back to be an earthly baby again. Right? We don't want anyone to go to become uh, an earthly baby again. Once is enough. But they must become a child in terms of their new birth in Christ. And that has to happen. It's no different from what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born again. The results of which being, as soon as you're born, you are a babe. You are a babe. So, application number one, become childlike. Eris passive and eris middle. I like the fact these are both eris. They speak of simply a point in time. When they are accomplished, they are accomplished. Conversion is, a ne is necessary for entrance into the kingdom. Conversion is necessary for entrance into the kingdom. When the kingdom is inaugurated, remember at this point, the kingdom is at hand, although he has stopped delivering the at-hand message, it still is a valid true statement that he says you must be born again, you must be converted. No one is going to enter into the kingdom unregenerate. That is to say, at its inception. Once the kingdom is inaugurated, there will be humans born unregenerate that will need a redeemer, the unbelievers that are born during the millennial kingdom. 
But at its inception, when the kingdom is inaugurated, no unregenerate will enter in. That's why you must be converted. You must be converted. Uh, it's described as coming under the rod, coming under the rod of the covenant, which is why at the sheep and goat judgment, all unbelievers are removed. They are purged. They are removed from this earth. Unbelieving Jews uh, in their wilderness judgment of unbelieving of uh, Israel, Exodus, Ezekiel chapter 20, and unbelieving Gentiles are removed at the sheep and goat judgment where they're cast into the lake of, or cast into into hell. All right. So there's your first application. You've got to be saved. All right. Second application. I'm going to pen back out here. He uses the child as to say, first of all, you've got to become children. And so the child in their view is then an illustration, but also a contrast. Because he has an earthly child in front of him and he says, you've got to become a spiritual child. In the second illustration in verse 4, we have application number 2. Become humble. Now, as I say, some folks blend these two verses as if Jesus was repeating himself, as if he was making redundant statements. Um, but being converted and becoming like children is, is one application. That's the application for entrance. But humbling is a second application. And it's not the same as the application for entrance. It's the application for reward. It's the standard for rewardability and greatness once you're in the kingdom. Because not everyone who has been converted and who has become a child will be humble in the, in the outworking of their Christian walk. A lot of believers are prideful. And unfortunately, they're the believers that have some teaching because knowledge puffs up. And they get teaching, but they don't unite it with love, and so they don't have the love that edifies, they just get boastful. And in their pride, they are the least in the kingdom of heaven. It's the humble believers that are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. If you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, He will exalt you at the proper time. But if you exalt yourself, He brings you low. And that's the, that's the application. So application number two, become humble. Now, this is a future active, an active voice verb means that the subject accomplishes the activity, the accomplishment, the subject accomplishes the activity. If, if you are commanded to become humble or to humble yourself, in which case, um, as we have here, whoever then humbles himself, the object is yourself reflexively, but the, the verb is to humble. Let me give you the vocabulary. Tapeno, um, losing my place here. Tapenao. Future active of tapenao. T A P E I N O O. Tapenao. There are other, uh, this is the verb, there are nouns that come off of this. Tapinafrosune is a term for uh, humility as a noun that speaks of uh, lowliness of thought, of, of, of your, your, your thinking. 
But tapenao is your verb, number 5013 in the Strong's Index. 5013. And here was where uh, we were going to do one of our surveys and our word study through the text. So that's not going to happen. But let me at least bring it up on the screen where I can see it. And then we... uh, Run through some of the highlights. There's 18 verses, including Matthew 18, whoever then humbles himself as this child. Matthew 23:12. Flip over there. Matthew 23:12. Make you do more flipping since we don't have a screen to look at. Because this shows the two facets. Even back up a verse to verse 11. The greatest among you shall be your servant. The servant attitude that's rewardable. The servant uh, characteristic attitude that, that characterizes your life is rewardable. So we discussed at the Hugh Hatley service on Monday. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Remember, the adversary is the one that boasted with his five I wills. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. I will be like the Most High God. He exalted Himself. He spent uh, every moment since then continuing to exalt Himself. All the whole course of human history has been the adversary exalting Himself and uh, manipulating the affairs of man for the uh, uh, exaltation of the adversary. Jesus Christ, on the other hand, humbled Himself. Philippians chapter 2, he laid aside his privileges. He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He never would have dreamed of demanding or making that boastful statement, I shall be like the Most High God. Now, he already was. I and the Father are one. But he didn't view that as something to be boastfully, proudly grasped and, and, and demanded. Instead, he does just the opposite. He lays aside, he chooses not to exercise privileges of deity that he was otherwise perfectly entitled to exercise. But he chose not to, to demonstrate that it's humility and obedience that truly glorifies the Father and pursues his plan. So whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. And in the rewarding scale of the kingdom of God, that's what we're going to see. Other examples, um, not just Matthew. Those are the bit, those are the two uses in Matthew, Matthew 18 and Matthew 23. There's uh, a use in Luke 3, 5 about mountains and hills brought low and, and, and uh, the crooked becoming straight. Uh, Luke 14, 11 is the parallel to your Matthew 23 text. Likewise, Luke 18, 14. In Paul's epistles, he uses tapenao in 2 Corinthians 11.7, where Paul humbled himself in order to exalt uh, the Corinthians in order to preach the gospel without charge. And he asked them a rhetorical question. He says, did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge? Now, Paul described that as an application of tapenao, an application of humbling yourself. 
choosing not to insist upon a privilege or insist upon a liberty that you think you're entitled to. This is what the law of liberty is about and why the law of love trumps the law of liberty. And so, because he humbled himself in that regard, of course, Paul will be rewardable for that at the judgment seat of Christ. Chapter 12 and verse 21, I'm afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you and I may mourn over you. And so there's the application of it there that God was going to humble him or humiliate him. Philippians 2.8, as I mentioned, Christ is our example and the word tapenao is used in that context. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, tapenao, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, at its core, obedience is humility. Because a human being decides that God's will has precedent. It's more important whatever it is I want to do. Sin is selfish. Every sin you ever commit, your selfish attitude said, you know what? My preferences are more important than what God wants me to do. So every sin is selfishness, pride and arrogance. Obedience, though, is an application of humility. So he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Term is used. Um, in fact, it's kind of an awkward translation. In, in Philippians 4.12, tapenao is rendered, I know how to get along with humble means. Okay, He knows how to tapenao. He knows how to tapenao. Tapenao. James 4.10, humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. In 1 Peter 5.6, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. See, I think in uh, some of these applications... Verse 8 says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking to devour, but resist him. And believers are all excited about engaging the devil in the angelic conflict and resisting the devil and all this stuff. And they're falling flat on their face, can't figure out why. Well, you missed the step, a verse before that, it says, Humble yourself. Don't go forward in pride and arrogance and act as if you're the greatest Christian warrior in the history of the, you know, the Ephesians 6 armor. No, humble yourself. And if the armor works, it works not because you're so great at using it, but because God designed it to do what it does. Humble yourself. All right, so this is a command. It is a statement that whoever does, it's not technically a command, it's not an imperative, but it is a whosoever. And as a whosoever, as a future active indicative It recognizes that some will and some won't, but the ones who do then receive the consequences. Whoever humbles himself, as this child has humbled himself, as this child, this child, this very child, demonstrative pronoun highlighting the the one lad that, that Christ brought forward, whoever he was, was an example of the Christian way of life. But an example of a believer who had made an apl- a, a humbling act, uh, activity or application. 
See, we can learn. We, we don't want to be prideful. Our young people in, in prep school are learning the Word of God. They're making application. They're setting examples. See, I'm not naming names or pointing fingers or saying anything, but, you know, in some cases they're exceeding what the parents are doing. Why? Because they actually have humility and they're obedient to the Word of God. All right. Not naming names. I'm just saying. Our young people can be victorious, applying the Word of God, humbling themselves, obedient to God's plan for their life. And when they do, are you so boastful that you can't learn from that example? I can learn from that example. Particularly since Jesus used a child here as his illustration to wake up his disciples. Say, so quit arguing about which one of you is the greatest. You know, you're all going to be washing dishes for this kid. If that didn't get their attention, I'm not sure what would have. <laughs> all right. So there's the application on that. In point one, the, uh, when we talk about the necessity, conversion is, is necessary for entrance. Humility is necessary for reward. You don't want to mix those up. You don't want to mix those up. The first application is a, is a passive voice and a middle voice. God's doing the work. The second application is active voice. Believers are accomplishing the activity or not for either the rewardability or, or rejection thereof. All right, two more applications. Application number three is to receive such childlike brethren. So application number three, we're told, receive. And who are we supposed to receive? Such. Believers that have humbled themselves to become servants in obedience to the plan of the Father are worthy of our hospitality, of our reception, of our support. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Now, that's not receiving Christ for eternal life in a conversion salvation application. But it is an application of hospitality in terms of fellowship. In terms of fellowship. I am looking forward to events after the rapture. Post-rapture events. They're going to be fun. It's going to include feasting. It's going to include wine. The purest, most glorious wine you've ever had. Without any drunkenness. Feasting without gluttony. I'm going to devour whatever feast, whatever table the Father lays out. And, and I don't believe it will be anything Jenny Craig approved. All right? It is just going to be a feast. And the fallen body in glory, I mean the fallen body is gone. The resurrected body in glory will feast and feast and feast. And the fellowship that we'll have with Jesus Christ. I'm looking forward to that, but it doesn't have to wait until the trumpet. 
the actual fellowship with Jesus Christ can take place in time. This passage describes you receive such a one. You are receiving Christ. Christ himself. The application is an application of hospitality. Receive such childlike brethren. Our treatment of Christ through the treatment of others is an essential feature of the kingdom of heaven mystery state. It is something that's evaluated. The Lord will deliver this message again when he speaks of the sheep and goat judgment to the tribulational uh, believers and unbelievers in Matthew 25, verses 40 and 45. When he says, you gave me no water, you gave me no food. And they said, well, when did we do that? (laughs) All right. You're familiar with that text? We can peek at it here. Matthew 25. Now, the Matthew 25 reference is a tribulational application. The Matthew 18 Bible class is a dispensation of Israel age of incarnation application both of which are under Israel's stewardship, but as principles they apply for you and I today. We clearly have hospitality principles in uh, church-age passages as well. So don't think we're off the hook saying, oh, we don't have to be hospitable. Those are passages for Israel. Yes, they are passages for Israel, but they are application. They are principles that we apply in the church age as well. All right, Matthew 25 um, The Son of Man, verse 31, comes in His glory and all the angels with Him. Then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. Sheep on His right, goats on His left. The King will say, Come, you who are blessed of My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Notice, entrance into the kingdom requires conversion. And the king will say to those on his right, uh, verse uh, 35, the explanation, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Well, when did they do that? When they did so for the least of these. Okay, this is the application. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous, notice the righteous. This is why conversion is necessary for entrance into the kingdom. The righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry, etc., etc., etc. And he said, to the extent that you did it to the least of these brothers of mine, even the least of them you did to me. So there's the application. Receive such. Our attitude in terms of hospitality, our attitude in terms of how we bless the humble brother that is obedient to the Father's plan. And then point four, the fourth application is actually a warning. Don't be a stumbling block. Don't trip them up. Don't trip them up. Your verb is scandalizo. Scandal, scandalize. Scandalizo. 
S-K-A-N-D-A-L-I-Z-O. Scandalizo, number 4624. 4624. Now he warns them in verse 6 and then gives an expanded message on stumbling blocks. And that's what we get into under main point C. Uh, that is two Matthew's events, sub C. Christ warns about stumbling blocks. And so we'll, next week we'll have more details on the stumbling blocks. Because it's a whole realm of doctrine in terms of stumbling blocks. They will occur daily. You and I encounter them all the time. It's necessary for the stumbling blocks to exist. Because through how we handle stumbling blocks, we ourselves are evaluated and rewarded and and different things. Stumbling blocks have to happen. But there are enough of them with the unbelievers in this world throwing them out there. We don't need to add to the quantity of stumbling blocks on the planet through carnal believers throwing extra ones out there. See, verse 7 says, Woe to the cosmos. You want to participate in cosmos activity? Woe to the cosmos because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. It's inevitable. What does that mean? Yeah, it doesn't mean, though, that we become fatalistic or we just throw our hands up and say, oh, well, it was meant to be, right? They do happen. They happen because of the cosmos we live in. This is a fallen cosmos. We are fallen creatures. Just because we're redeemed doesn't change the fact we're fallen creatures. We are fallen creatures redeemed, saved by grace. We're still fallen creatures, fallen and redeemed. And when we act according to our fallen nature rather than according to our new nature, well, we experience the consequences. No, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. They will happen. This is a fallen world. In the world, you will have tribulation. That's that's a promise. That's a statement of reality. And it's inevitable. But woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. There's two woes here. Woe to the cosmos and woe to the uh, stumbling block architect. All right. There's plenty of them out there. Just make sure none of them are yours. <laughs> okay. The world has a ton of them out there. Don't add to it. Because um, each stumbling block that you throw out there falls under a proclamation of woe. And, a little preview of where we'll be next week. The, um, we have time remaining. The worst stumbling block in the world is the stumbling block towards the children that he's utilizing here as this illustration. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble. Now, that applies to earthly children, of course. But beyond that, remember, this is a metaphor. This is descriptive of any believer. 
that has been converted, that has become a child, that has humbled himself. So don't think that uh, that um, this verse is limited to the uh, the earthly juveniles amongst our congregation, right? It applies to the little kids, of course, but I believe it applies to any believer that is in the humble situation and circumstance that's described here. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck. Now, God's not going to literally do this. But just consider how pleasant this would be. (laughs) Right? Consider the effects of a millstone around your neck and being drowned. You think about a horrible, horrible way. I mean, to drown. And to, 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 to know this, to, this is what's happening and to be plunged under the water and to, to see it coming and knowing there's nothing you can do about it and, and the panic that sets in and you hold your breath and then you can't hold your breath. and oh, It's a horrible, horrible thing. That's not so bad. Not compared to the divine discipline God the Father is going to put you through. See... In a lot of respects, a quick drowning death would be preferable to the divine discipline for causing a brother to stumble. We are not to cause our brothers to stumble. This is why Romans 14, law of liberty, law of love, 1 Corinthians 12, in dealing with, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, dealing with liberty and love and not causing a brother to stumble. Why Paul emphasized it so severely, well, the Lord emphasized it severely here. Absolutely. All right. Verses on stumbling blocks. Let me give you some of these and then we'll uh, cut you loose. Verses on stumbling blocks. The um, Let me just pull up a search. See, this was going to be on the screen. All right, let's do it this way. I'll bring up a Greek text, and I'll search that. Read it. The screen's not up there. The nekandalon, the verb is skandalizo. All right, here are your applications. Matthew 5, 29 and 30. The Sermon on the Mount. Remember, Sermon on the Mount is a kingdom of God passage. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out. He brings up the same illustration again in chapter 18 when he talks about causing one of these little ones to stumble. He talks if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. Okay? So Matthew 5, verses 29 and 30. Matthew eleven six. 6. When... Uh, John the Baptist is sending messengers. Are you the Christ or should we expect another? He says, blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Blessed is he who does not stumble over me. In his word of admonishment to John the Baptist in Matthew eleven six, Matthew 13, kingdom of heaven parables, verses 21, 41, and 57. Matthew 13, 21, 41, and 57. 
This is the stony ground Christian. Uh, he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. When affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. That's verse 21. Verse 41. The Son of Man will send forth his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. They will be thrown into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All unbelievers removed from this planet at the conclusion of the tribulation before the millennial kingdom begins. That's verse 41. Verse 57. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, in his own household. Because why? Well, they took offense at him. They stumbled over him. All right, still in Matthew 15:12. The disciples came and said to him, Do you not know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? The Pharisees stumbled when they heard this statement. Matthew 16:23, "Get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me." Matthew 16:23. I love that verse, especially when the Romans come to me and tell me that Peter was the first pope, and they use Matthew 16 as their text. I say, "Really? Matthew 16? Is that, was that verse 23? Was that get me behind, get behind me, Satan?" Satan was your first pope. Still is. All right. So you see uh, quite a spectrum of uh, terms here, just all in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, 1727. 1727. He says, so we don't cause them to stumble. Go fishing and pay your taxes. Dealt with that a couple weeks ago. In chapter 18, you got verse 6, verse 7, verse 8, and verse 9. And uh, we have the uh, event here where Christ is illustrating with the child, and then we'll have the event next week under point C, Christ warns about the stumbling blocks. Then uh, Matthew 24.10, describing the uh, beginnings of birth pangs, describing the uh, foreshadowing of the coming of second advent. Matthew 26.31 and 33. Not in which he was betrayed. And Jesus said, uh, all of you are going to stumble because of me this night. And Peter says, huh, they might stumble. I will never stumble. And Jesus says, three times you will deny me. All right, so there's your survey all in the Gospel of Matthew. There are other uh, parallels in Mark and Luke. Um, I'll skip by those for our time consideration today. In John, I'll just give you John 6:61, where he's telling them, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they said, this is kind of hard to listen to. He says, does this cause you to stumble? John 16:1. there's another application where he warns his disciples. In uh, Romans, Romans 9:33, the citation from the Old Testament, the citation from Psalm 118, or actually from Isaiah 28 and Psalm 118. Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. He who believes in him will not be disappointed. Some of you are studying the cornerstone in the Ephesians class. So you have the stumbling block, the stone of stumbling in Romans 
Also Romans 11, 9, 14, 13, and 16, 17. Those are all Romans applications. Romans 9, 33, 11, 9, 14, 13, 16, 17. Am I going too fast? You guys are out of practice. I've got to hit you like the curl. Just start throwing them out there. 1 Corinthians 1, 23, and 8, 13. 1 Corinthians 1, 23, 8, 13. 123, we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block to Gentiles foolishness. 8.23, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so I will not cause my brother to stumble. Why? Because Paul read that thing about the millstone and said he wanted no part of that. Second <laughs> Corinthians 11.29, who is weak without my becoming weak? Who stumbles without my intense concern? Who is tripped up with a stumbling block without my intense concern? That's Second Corinthians eleven twenty nine. Galatians five eleven is the last Pauline use. Galatians five eleven. The stumbling block of the cross. First Peter two eight. Again is the quotation stone of stumbling, rock of offense. They stumbled because they were disobedient to the word. First John two ten. The one who loves his brother abides in the light. There is no cause for stumbling in him. There's your secret recipe. How do you, how do you avoid creating stumbling blocks? Love your brother. Apply the law of love. Allow the law of love to overrule whatever liberty you think you're trying to exercise. Love your brother. You avoid the stumbling blocks. Last application is in the uh, message to the church of Pergamum in Revelation 2.14. Part of what he had against them was that they had some who were teaching the teachings of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. And uh, because of that, Pergamum comes, Pastor of Pergamum, the angel of Pergamum, comes under Jesus Christ's hand of discipline. All right, well, I'll give you some passages to consider, and uh, we will come back. And deal with point C next week. Christ warns about stumbling blocks. Also point D, the 90 and 9. How is it that you can leave the 90 and 9 and go find the 1? Isn't that rather negligent towards the 90 and 9? Well, it doesn't say that he left them unattended and neglected them. Or you could also expect that he leaves them safely in the fold where the doorkeeper has them secure or where other shepherds keep an eye on them. And he goes out to track the, uh, the wanderer. Or you could also understand the aspect of omnipresence. <laughs> Wherever you flee, God's right there with you. See, that's something that earthly shepherds have to figure out. There's the good shepherd, and then there's you, and one of you is omnipresent. And the other one drives himself crazy trying to chase people everywhere. So we've got uh, the 90 and 9. We've got corporate discipline coming up. Mislabeled church discipline way too many times. Matthew 18 has nothing to do with church discipline because the church is a mystery. But it is corporate discipline about warning your brother and going back with two or three and then tell it to the ecclesia, which is not the church. It's the ecclesia of that day. All right. And then uh, 70 times 7, an old account settled. All these things coming up still here in Matthew 18. Should the Lord delay long enough? Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for this day and our time together. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.